Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And this is a special occasion because the Shia has returned to its home in the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi, uh, Melbourne, Australia, where we haven't actually been for the last many, many weeks. Thank you all for joining us online. Thank you, Sarah, for opening your house last week. And now here we are, hopefully, to stay. We're not quite in the Bet Midrash, we're like near the Bet Midrash, but it's also good. Uh, we're also on Zoom, if anyone else wants to join us, and we'll also be on the podcast. Search on your podcast provider for Rashi with Rabbi Kennard, rate it. Uh, give it a comment so other people can find it. And we are in Perak Yud Zion, and we are starting the Brit Milah, and we're, we haven't quite finished Pasuk Aleph. So let's have another look from the beginning of Perak Yud Zion, Pasuk Aleph. Vayihi Avram ben Tishim Shana v'Tesha Shanim. Avram was 99 years old. Ve'yira Hashem el Avram, and Hashem appeared to Avram. Ve'yoma elav, and he said to him, Ani kel shakai. Rashi talked, and we've done this already, about why he used the name Kel Shakai. Hitaleich lefanai v'hayei tamim. Hitaleich lefanai, Rashi said, is to be understood like the Targum understands it, <coughs> which is to serve me. But Rashi also had bevodati, cleave to my service, which we talked about as the implication of hitaleich, walk, in the way that you should go should always be for the sake of serving me. And then it says, Behiye Tamim. And last week we said, we looked at the very first of the comments on Behiye Tamim. We'll just do that again, because it'll be relevant when we compare it to what's coming next. So on the words, Behiye Tamim, Rashi says, Af zeh tzivui achar tzivui. This is also a command after a command. This is a separate command. In other words, there's two commands. Hitaleich lefanai, Behiye Tamim. And why does Rashi see this as two separate commands? Because the Vav makes it a separate instruction. It is not Hitaleik uh, Lefanai, and therefore, as a consequence, you will be Tamim, but rather Hitaleik Lefanai, and also be Tamim. So what does it mean to be Tamim? It says Rashi, Be perfect in all my tests. So Tamim, we know from I think it's Pasha Shoftim. Tamim um, you shall be perfect with Hashem, uh, which is explained by Chazal to mean you shall listen to his Nevi'im and you shall do what the Nevi'im tell you to do. And that relates to what Rashi says here. Tamim, being past all my tests. In other words, show emuna, show faith, show loyalty to me and do what I ask of you. That's Rashi's first explanation. And then he says, and according to the Midrash, Hitaleich Lefanai, the Mitzvat Mila, Ubudavar Hazer, Tihyeh Tamim. So you should walk before me, not as we said earlier, and serve me in a general way, but specifically with the Mitzvah of Brit Mila, which is what's coming up in this Peruk. And then, Ubudavar Hazer, and in this thing, Tihyeh Tamim, you will be perfect, you will be complete. And then he goes on to say why Brit Miller is going to make you complete. Why does he call this the Midrash? What's the big difference between this explanation and the previous explanation? Well, this explanation precisely uh, cuts away with what Rashi said previously. 
Well, Rashi said, Afzuk, Afzat, Sivui, Achat, Sivui. Rashi said, first of all, the Hayei Tamim is a separate Inyan. It's a separate thing. First of all, Hashem says, Hitalek Lefanai. And then he says, the Hayei Tamim. And Rashi said, it's two separate Sivui. Now, according to the Midrash, it's not two separate Sivui. It's precisely what I said it wasn't in the first explanation. The Hayei Tamim is a consequence of Hitalek uh, Lefanai. Because Hitalek Lefanai now, according to the Midrash, means do Brit Mila. And therefore, you will be Tamim. This is not the Peshat, because the Peshat is, it sounds like two separate things. This is saying it's not two separate things. It's one thing and a consequence. And that's why he calls it the Midrash. It's not the Peshat. It's also the Midrash because of what's coming next, which is a little bit more way out. How does Mila, circumcision, make you Tamim, make you perfect? Continues Rashi. Shakol Zaman Shaha Bach. All the time that you have, I'll translate it once, and then I will just reuse the Hebrew words. I'm more comfortable. Orla means the foreskin, but for now I'll just call it the orla. So all the time that the orla is in you, ata balmum lefanai, you are a blemished person before me. So a balmum, it's usually said in the context of a korban, that a korban which is blemished, which some way um, has got some sort of um, blemish cannot be offered as a korban. That's how we're most used to the phrase balmum. And it's similar here, that you are my servant, you are serving me, but while you have an orla, you are a balmum. And therefore you are not tamim, because somebody with an orla is the opposite, or at least is not to be described as tamim. Then Rashi says, another explanation. So this is number three, but it's really 2b. Because 2a is the one we just said, that the brit mila, taking away the orla, will make you tamim. And 2b is the following. It's also midrashic. That's why I say it's 2b. Another explanation of you will be tamim. Now you are lacking five um, organs. What are the five organs that you are lacking? We'll understand what lacking means in a minute. Two eyes. And two ears. Barosh hagvia and the head of the male organ. I will add a letter to your name, because we know Avram is about to become Avraham. And I'll add a letter, which I'll add the letter He, which has a gematria of five. And then when I've added the letter to your name, you will have the gematria Avraham of 248, Kaminyan Everecha, which is the number of your organs. So Chazal say there's 248 organs in the body. There is a place where they actually count them. Um, I'm not quite sure how that matches up with uh, our modern understanding of anatomy, but it cut to the number 248, um, uh, which by no coincidence is the number of positive mitzvah, but that's for another time. Another time. So the gematria of Avram is 243. So what Rashi is saying, what the Midrash is saying, is two things are going to happen, and they obviously match up. Number one, your name is going to go from a gematria of 243 to 248. And number two, the five organs that you are chaser, whatever that means, you will cease to be chaser, and your name will match the number of your organs, and all your organs will then be accounted for. And the five organs which aren't uh, in the 243, two eyes, two ears, and the male organ. Now why, what does that mean? What does it mean they're chaser? So I saw two explanations which are related but not quite the same thing. One is that 
before you undergo Brit Mila, you are not in control of your eyes and ears and male organ. You're not in control of that because they are the source of the eight Sahara. What the eyes see, what the ears hear, what the body plans to do, that's the eight Sahara, and you're not in control of that. And when you um, have Brit Mila, you will be raised to the level where you are in total control of your Yetzirah. And therefore, those organs, instead of not serving you, but serving your Yetzirah, will now serve you because you will be totally in control. Or you can say that slightly differently, but not very differently, that those five organs are what incite the Yetzirah. So if you're in control of your Yetzirah, then you don't need to worry about what those organs are doing rather than you'll be in control of them. Uh, two, two variants on the same thing. But that, either way, it becomes Tamim. When you have Brit Mila, you will not have five organs which are serving the Eight Sahara instead of serving you. They will now serve you, and therefore you will be Tamim. And therefore, your name will now cover all the organs of which you are in control, i.e. all 248 of them. So that second Midrashic explanation um, is... Um, perhaps uh, a clearer connection between Brit Mila and the Tamima stick than the first Midrashi explanation. The first Midrashi explanation says, um, you're, before you remove the Orla, you're a Balmum. Now you remove the Orla, you're not a Balmum, you're a Tamim. The second explanation, I, I think, makes a connection in a more strong way that the act of Brit Mila actually consecrates those five uh, organs. And the other advantage of the second explanation is it leads into the addition of the letter to his name, which is going to come in Pasuk K. Okay, any questions? No, let's move on to Pasuk Bet. Uh, where Hashem says, And I will give my Brit, my covenant between me and between you. And I will multiply you very, very much. And Rashi says on the words, it's a Brit of love, and it's the Brit of the land, which will be bequeathed to you through this mitzvah. Now, there's another Brit that's going to come later, which really is Brit Milah. Uh, the Torah doesn't call that explicitly, but if you look at Pasuk Tet, um, it says, el Abraham, ata et briti tishmor, ata So there in Pasuk Tet, Hashem says to Abraham, you've got to keep my Brit. In other words, you've got to do something. And what is that something you've got to do? As the Torah is very clear, you've got to do Brit Mila for yourself and your family and your household. Here is no obligation in Pasuk Bet on Abraham to do anything. It's a Brit that goes entirely the other way. Ve'etna briti. I will give my covenant. So it's not Abraham's side of the deal, it's Hashem's side of the deal. So what is Hashem's side of the deal? It just says, Briti, my covenant. What does that mean? Well, it must mean what Hashem goes on to specify in Pasuk Zion and Pasuk Chet. So if we now look at Zion and Chet, Zion says, et briti, lebrit olam, to be to you as a God. And then in Pasachet, I will give you and your descendants 
the whole land of Canaan. So, in Pasuk Bet, we have a reference to a brit, what Hashem is going to give Abraham, because he doesn't demand anything of Abraham at that point. So, in Pasuk, uh, we don't know what that brit is, but in Pasuk Zion, Hashem says, I'm going to be your God. And in Pasuk Chet, Hashem says, I'm going to give you the land. So, Rashi says, Pasuk Bet is, is, is referring to Zion and Chet. And that's why Rashi says, Bet Nebriti, Ritual Ahava, Ubrit Ha'aret. So Rashi is explaining, but the Brit in Pasuk Bet is the introduction to the details which come in Pasuk Zion and Pasuk Chet. By the way, I have a question, which I haven't seen anyone address, <coughs> that Rashi doesn't just say that this Brit, uh, that Hashem is going to be Hashem, going to be your God. Rashi calls Brit Shal Ahava, which is very nice. I don't know why he chooses the word Ahava, Dafka, to, to talk about the relationship Hashem being Abraham's God. But I have a bigger question because in Pasuk Zion, the way Hashem is referred to when he says, I'm going to be your God, is Elohim. And Elohim is usually Midatadin. And Hashem, Yudke Vavke, is Midatarachamim. So I'm just a little bit surprised. I just shared this with you. Why Rashi refers to when Hashem says, I'm going to be your Elohim, which is normally Midatadin, Rashi chooses the word Ahava to describe that. I leave that as a question to which I haven't found an answer. Then we go to Pasuk Gimel. And as usual, please stop me if you have a question or a comment. Vayipol Avram al Panav. Avram fell on his face. And Hashem spoke to him saying. So what do we want to know? We want to know why Avram falls on his face. Now, who else falls on their faces from time to time? Last week, Cedra. Moshe and Aaron. When and why do they fall on their faces? To ask for forgiveness. When things look pretty bleak, when there's an Egel, or when there's spies, or when there's Korach, <coughs> actually, particularly when there's Korach, as Rashi makes the point, they fall on their faces in desperation. Abraham is not desperate. So that can't be the explanation of why he's falling on his face. So we need to know why he's falling on his face. Says Rashi, Vayipol Avraham Alpanav, Mimora Hashchina, from the fear of the Shechina. Sha'ad Shalomal, because before he was circumcised, lo haya bo koach la'amod. He did not have the strength to stand. Ruach HaKodesh nitzepet alav. When Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, was standing by him. So we realize that Avram is not circumcised, because he's just been told, well, he's about to be told that he's going to have to be circumcised, according to Rashi according to explanation 2b of Pasuk Aleph, he was now a Balmum. So while he's a Balmum, he can't stand in the presence of Hashem. The fact that he has an Orla forces him to be totally overawed and perhaps terrified by the presence of Hashem. Now, the obvious question is, he's been a Balmum all his life until this moment. He hasn't been circumcised at any stage earlier. And yet Hashem has appeared to him time after time and we don't read that he falls on his face. So to which there are two explanations that I saw. Number one, he did fall on his face every time, but we don't need to be told. It's relevant now because now suddenly we realize why he's falling on his face. Because right now he's been told he's a vulnerable. But every time previously, he also fell on his face. It just the Torah didn't need to say so. Or, and this is in the Meshach Chachma, he says, until now, he wasn't circumcised. That's true. 
but only now did he realize or was he did he have the effect of being a Balmum. Only now did, did that become a blemish. Why has it become a blemish now? Because Hashem has told him he's got to be circumcised, although he hasn't actually told him yet, but he's about to. Uh, if you say Hidalek Lefanai is to be circumcised, then Hashem has told him. So now Hashem has told him that there's something wrong. Now, either you can say Abraham realizes there's something wrong which he didn't realize before, or Abraham, actually, his body tells him there's something wrong, which it didn't tell him before, and he has to fall on his face in the presence of Hashem. Um, I think both explanations are a little bit problematic, um, because, well, either way, we have the, the question, why does the Torah not say he fell on his face any previous occasion? So, as I say, either he did fall on his face, but the Torah didn't tell us, or it only has become a problem now when Hashem has told him that there's a problem with being an Aro, uh, not being circumcised. Now, who do we, from whom do we know that if you are blemished, when you get a Navua, you fall on your face. That's this week's Sedra. As Rashi says, This is what it said with Bilam. So Bilam describes himself as Nofel Ugalui Enayim. He falls, but with eyes open. Then when, when Bilam gets his Navua, um, and Bilam was very blemished in many ways, he fell. Because, and, and the only way he could receive the Navua was in a state of falling. Bilam said that about himself. So that's our proof text that when you are blemished and you get a Navua, you have to fall. And that explains what Abram was doing here. Uh, Rashi concludes, but brighter the Rabbi Eliezer Matsati came. I found this in the brighter of Rabbi Eliezer, which means decade of Rabbi Eliezer. Um, question to which I don't have an answer. Why does Rashi bother to spell that out? I have got a safer. Um, which whenever Rashi quotes something in the name of the Tana or the Amora who said it, this, this book gives a whole pillful about why Rashi needed to say the name of the Tana or the Amora who said it. And it gets very, very complex. And I think it's perhaps a little bit too corporalistic for its own good. But nevertheless, there must be a reason why Rashi says Dafka. I saw this in Pekka Drebliezer because he usually doesn't ascribe his sources like that. But in this case, he does. So we move on to Pasuk Dalet. And Hashem continues to speak. And he says, Ani, hinei briti itach. Behold, my covenant is with you. Vahayiti la'av hamon goyim. Sorry, vahitach. And you will be a father of many nations. <coughs> and Rashi has on Pasuk Dalad nothing to say. So we will move on to Pasuk Hay, but we will see that Hay and Dalad go quite closely <coughs> together. Because now, after Hashem has said, you will be an av hamon goyim, in Pasuk Hay, your name will not be called anymore Avram. And your name will be Avraham. Because I have placed you as a father of many nations. So now he is called Avraham. And by the way, the Pasuk says, and that is why we should not refer to Abraham as Avram. And you'll notice that generally when I talk about him in the previous five parakim, I call him Abraham because that's how he should be called, even when chronologically he was in the state of being called Avram. And it's actually uh, a, uh, an Avera to call him Abraham, which is not the case with which other patriarch had his name changed? Yaakov to Yisrael, but he is often called Yaakov in the Torah itself. Um, and there is no problem in calling him Yaakov, even after his name was called, it was changed to 
uh, Yisrael, but with Abraham, we're told specifically, below Yikarei Od Et Shimcha Abraham. So what does Abraham mean? So the Torah says, he's called Abraham, Ki Av Amon Goyim. Now what is, how do you get from Av Hamon Goyim to Abraham? So Rashi says, Ki Av Hamon Goyim, Loshon Notrikon, Shal Shemo, Shal Shemo, sorry. Notrikon Shal Shemo, what is Notrikon? So it's a phrase, I think it's a Greek word, but it means basically splitting up the word. Avraham, uh, we'll take out the resh because it shouldn't be there, as we will say in a minute. So you've got av and you've got ham, which is av, hamon, and then goyim. So the word avraham has got the words av and the heimem of hamon. And that's what's called notricon. You split up the avraham, take out the resh, as we'll explain very soon, and you get av and heimem, and that's uh, the basis of the name. But Rashi obviously realizes that there's a letter which he hasn't explained because there's no resh in Av Hamon. So what's the resh doing in Abraham? So he gives a whole explanation of why the resh is in Abraham. And he brings a proof why it should be in Abraham, as we will see. The resh, Shahaita Bobat Chila, and the resh that was there at the beginning, originally in the name Avram, Shalohaya Av Elala Aram. He was Av, sorry, he was only Av to Aram, Mesopotamia, which was his place. Avram grew up, whether he grew up in Ur Kastim or in Haram, but somewhere in that sort of fertile crescent, <coughs> which we generally call Aram. And he was the father of Aram, hence the name Avram, which is also not Olam. And now he's the father of the whole world. So he's moved from Avram, which is the father of Aram, to Avraham, which is Avhamon Goyim, the father of the whole world. So that's why we now have a hey for the Avhamon. That's why he needs a hey in his name. But the Reish, which is the subject of Rashi's sentence, lo zazamim koma. The Reish does not move from its place. So if the Reish was there in the name Avram, it's not going to be ditched. Now, Rush is about to show what the, if the race is there to start with, then it should stay there. And how does he prove this? So who else gets their name changed in this episode? Sarai to Sarah. So a yud goes and a hay comes. So it says Rashi, how do I know that the race should stay there because it was there in the first place in Avram? The answer is, Sha'af yud shall Sarai Nitra ama al hashchina, the yud of Sarai complained against the shchina, ad shenotasva leYehoshua, until that yud which came from Sarai was added to Yehoshua. Shneemar, as the pasuk said in two weeks ago, vayikra Moshe lahoshea binun Yehoshua. Moshe called Hoshea by the name of Yehoshua. So. It's, it's hard to understand this, Rashi, because his proof for why the race shouldn't move is based on a midrash, which is a pretty uh, metaphorical midrash. Uh, I don't think the midrash is really saying that let us talk and let us complain against Hashem. But the point is that the Yud of Sarai was not lost. It happened to be transferred to someone else. That's what the midrash says. Rather than just saying Sarai becomes Sarah, cross out the Yud, you don't cross out the Yud. In Sarai's case, the Yud doesn't stay there, but it stays somewhere. So in Avram's case, 
the Reish doesn't go away, it stays there. The obvious question is, it's still not quite the same. That's my frustration here. Because in Sarai's case, the Yud went away, it just didn't get lost altogether. But it would have been a better parallel had the Yud stayed in the word Sarah, but it doesn't. Um, I'll just share a couple of interesting little thoughts here. Um, why is it Yoshua bin nun and not ben nun? Okay, so, do you know it? I read it. There was another, there was only one other person in Tanakh that was also bin. Okay, I think there is a grammatical basis to it, but I, I'm not sure. Ibn Ezra, I think, talks about it as, as he would. But the cute vort is Sarai, the Yud in Sarai, has got no vowels. And when it's put into Yehoshua, it's a, got a Shiva. So it needs to take two dots from somewhere. You see where this is going? So Ben, a Sagal under the bet, loses two dots and becomes a Chirik under the bet. Okay. Um, and another thing I just want to share is that there's an interesting shout out, I forget to whom it was asked, um, about somebody in a shawl who had a seat on the edge, an aisle seat, as we used to travel in planes, call it. And then the, the shawl was rearranged and they put another seat next to it. So he didn't have an aisle seat anymore. And the question was, did he have a timer? Could he complain to the guy of the shawl that he lost, he'd gone down? And the answer was no, because the hay of Hoshea used to be on the end of his name. And when the Yud's added, and no longer is the hey the first letter of the name, but the hey doesn't complain. That's, that was the answer. Okay. Um, continues Rashi. Oh, continues the Pasuk. Um, no, we haven't finished the Pasuk. We, we have finished the Pasuk. Yes. Um, oh, I haven't finished the, the uh, talk about this Pasuk. Yes. Uh, um, well, yes. Home before. Yes. Why? Why is he the father? Yes. Um, I don't know. Um, I, all I can say is when we see examples of not become, it's not quite so precise. It's not back in the initial letters. So maybe the answer is to your question, yes, you'll be in Tumadai. Um, Rashi seems happily happy that Avram is Av Aram. I, uh, I haven't got a better answer. No, that wouldn't fit, and that's with an I in any way. Yes. Yes. Um, now, but I was going to ask on that what, what makes him the Av. Ah, okay, very good. So that was the next thing I was going to say. What makes him the Av? And in what way was he the Av of Aram? And he's now the Av of Hamon Goyim. Um, and we know he's going to be the father of many nations. Um, Yishmael uh, hasn't yet been born. He's, yeah, sorry, Yishmael has been born. Uh, Yitzchak hasn't been born. So he's only got one son at the moment, but he's going to have another son who is going to have more than one nation coming from him, as we will see very soon. He's also going to have six more children from Keturah, but they don't seem to feature it. But we know he is actually going to literally be the Avhamongoyim. But, but that doesn't quite work. You can't say, well, it's Avhamongoyim because you're going to have lots of children because he didn't have the children of Aram when he was of Aram. So what was he in Aram? What do we know that he did in Aram? What did we have in the first verse or almost the very beginning of our introduction to Abraham when we had Yudbet Hei, Yudbet Hei, V'yikat Avram et Sarai Ishto v'et lo ben Achiv v'et kol ruchusham asher rachashu Beta nefesh asher asu bacharan. 
the nefesh what was the souls that they made in Haran? So Rashi there brought two explanations. One was their property, their servants, and the other was Abraham was Magaya the men and Sarai was Magaya the women. And to Magaya somebody, to encourage somebody to convert, is like being their father. Um, Agar is like uh, is like reborn, and uh, there is actually a basis to say that the person who encourages them, who facilitates their gear, is like their father. Um, and therefore, and, and this is quite a simple explanation, I'm afraid, that previously he had hashba, he had influence on the people of Aram, and he encouraged some to. It wasn't converting to Judaism. It was, if you like, following Hashem. Um, and now he has the opportunity to do that to the entire world. He's not restricted. Anyone might be passing by and come under his influence. And it's no coincidence that when somebody today converts, um, if they're a man, they are given the name so-and-so Ben Abraham Avinu, uh, because he is the father of all the Goyim, of all, sorry, of all the Gerim. And there's actually a halakhic issue with this, because the Rambam, is asked a question, um, it's actually talking the, the declaration of bringing the Kurim, um, when you talk about how fathers went down to Egypt. But the, the Rambam also extends this to whenever a ger is davening Shemona Esra, can he say, It's a question, because the, the, the patriarchs are not his ancestors. Says the Rambam, yes, he can, because Abraham is the father of all gerim. So anyone who's a gear, it actually plugs into that um, uh, yichus, that, that pedigree going back to Avraham Avinu. Yeah. So that, that's an answer. Moving on to Pasuk Vav. V'hifreti otach od ba'od. I will make you very fruitful, very, very fruitful. Unataticha legoyim. And I will put you for nations. In other words, I will give you nations. <laughs> and kings from you will come. So what Rashi doesn't talk about the kings, but Rashi does talk about the Goyim. Natatiha le Goyim. Yisrael the Edom. That refers to the Jews and to the people of Edom. Now who was Edom? Also this expression. Who was Edom? The son of um, what? Uh, um, no. No, no, no. Esau. So the nation of Edom is identified with the descendants of Esau, even though there was no Mr. Edom in the genealogy. But Esau is identified with Edom, which also historically is identified with Rome and the Roman Empire and Europe, etc. But um, Chazal takes seriously the idea that Edom is the descendants of Esau. So Abraham has already had Yishmael. He's going to be the father of a great nation. We know that for sure. Why doesn't Rashi list Yisrael as a part of the nations that Abraham's going to be given? And Rashi says here, Shaharei Yishmael Kavahaya Lo. He already had Yishmael. And Hashem was not informing him of Yishmael because he's saying, In the future, I'm going to give you nations. So Rashi has to find nations which he hasn't been given already. <coughs> so after Yishmael, he's going to have Yitzchak. And Yitzchak is going to have Yaakov and Esau. And Yaakov and Esau are going to create the nations Yisrael and Edom. And those are the nations that Abraham is going to be given. <coughs> Presumably, the B'nai Keturah don't found nations. Um, which is interesting. I'm not quite sure why. Especially one of them is called Midian. And there's a nation of Midianites. 
but uh, presumably they're not the ancestors of the nation in the same way. And now we're ready to move on to Pasuk Zion. Any questions? No? Okay. Pasuk Zion is now Hashem talks in more detail about what the Brit is going to be. Because up till now, it's just said in Pasuk Bet, as we talked before, Bet I'm going to put my Brit between me and you. Now let's learn a little bit more about what the Brit is. Pasuk Zion. The Hakimoti et Briti, Beini Uveinecha, I will establish my Brit between me and you. Uvein Zaracha Acharecha, and between your descendants after you, Ludoratam, for their generations. Le Brit Olam, as an everlasting Brit, Lihiot Lacha Lelokim, to be for you as a God. And for your descendants after you. So earlier on tonight, we talked about this Pasuk. This is part of the promise. There's going to be more promise in the next Pasuk. And this is going to be that Hashem will be Abraham's God and the God of his descendants. Now let's look at how Rashi uh, uh, handles this Pasuk. On the words, the Hakimoti Apriti, Uma hi habrit, and what is the Brit? to be for you as a God. Why, what's Rashi doing here? Now, I'll tell you, Rashi does this quite often. Something like this structure of this Rashi. Akimoti Abriti, says Rashi, umahi abrit, answer, what is Rashi doing? Rashi is telling you how to read the Pasuk. Because you might have read the Pasuk as saying, Hakimoti Abriti, I'm going to establish my covenant, and there'll be something else as well. Also, I will be your God, leaving the, what the covenant means as unspecified. Says Rashi, that is not how you read the Pasuk. So you read the Pasuk as saying, Hakimoti Abriti, etc. And I will now tell you, I, the Pasuk, will now tell you what the details of that writ, namely, Liyot And when you see a Rashi like that, um, if you didn't realize already, that is what Rashi is doing. He's telling you not to think, but it's two separate things, but one is the explanation of the other. So we can go straight on to Pasuk And I will give to you and to your descendants after you et, et Eretz Mugurecha, the land of your sojournings, Et kol Eretz Canaan, the, all the land of Canaan, la achuzat olam, as an everlasting possession, the hayiti lahem lelokim, and I will be to them as a God. Now, by the way, I just want to mention, because I mentioned it the last two weeks, that at the Brit Benavatarim, Abraham was promised the land of 10 nations. At the Brit Mila, he's only promised the land of Canaan. And I said, although Rashi doesn't say this, this is something I learned from a teacher of mine, that Brit Benabatarim, Abraham is still <coughs> the ancestor of much more than the Jewish people. The Brit Mila is what identifies him as a Jew. He it will now be circumcised. He will have physically the badge of a Jew that will distinguish him from non-Jews. And now we're talking about his descendants in terms of the Jewish descendants, and they get the land of Canaan. There were three other nations which will come directly or indirectly from Abraham, and they'll get three other lands, but the Jews will get the land of Canaan. Um, which, by the way, perhaps doesn't quite fit with Abraham at this point being called Av Hamon Goyim. He's the father of many nations, except I think it does still fit. 
and especially given the explanation I gave about what does Av HaMongayim mean, doesn't mean to be the ancestor, but rather to be the influencer of many nations. Okay, what does Rashi say on the words La'achuzat Olam? And there I will be to you as a God. But somebody who dwells outside of Israel, it looks as it's as if they do not have a God. So that's a pretty strong statement. We'll try and understand it in a moment. But let's see what Rashi is doing. Why is Rashi driven to say this? Because at the end of Pasachet, it says, after saying, I will give you this land, I will be to them as a God. Why is that phrase problematic? Come on, hand it over to you, because I've done all the talking so far. Why is that phrase problematic? Because he already said it. He said it explicitly in Pasuk Zion. So why is he saying it again? So Rashi said, <coughs> he's saying it again in the context of living in Eretz Yisrael. And Rashi adds the words, the Sham, there. So I'll give you Achuzat Olam, and the Pasuk says, and Rashi has the words Sham, to say that it's the Vitilahem Lelokim in Pasuk is connected with, and in fact is exclusive to, being in Eretz Canaan. Now this idea of not having a God if you live outside Israel. First of all, it doesn't say you don't have a God if you live outside Israel. It says, Domer. It's like you don't have a God. Um, the Gemara, I forget where, says David Melech said the same thing. There's a passage in Tehillim that says, um, you chase me away from you. And that's referring to when the time when David Melech had to run away from Shaol and had to live in Chotzlaaret. David Melech called that as if he didn't have a God. So one way of understanding this is to use the idea that is not unique to the Ramban, but the Ramban expresses it very beautifully, that every nation in the world, except one, Hashem deals with through a Tsar, through a ministering angel. If Hashem wants to deal with Australia, Hashem, as it were, goes to the ministering angel of Australia, who probably speaks in an Australian accent and eats Vegemite, and says, go and do something to the people of Australia. What's the one exception? The land of Israel. Hashem deals with that individually. When you're in Israel, you don't have to go for the secretary to get to a Baruch That's part of the nature of being in Eretz Israel. The eyes of Hashem are on this land from beginning to the end of the year. That is Hashem's personal connection to Eretz Israel, which he doesn't have with other nations and other lands. That's what the Ramban says. And therefore, you can use that to explain this idea that when you're in Israel, you can get straight to Hashem because you don't have to go through the secretary. But when you're outside Israel, it's Domer Kamisha Ein Lo Elokar because you don't have that connection with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. We should all be in Israel sooner rather than later. Yes. Just quickly, um, distinction your tenses that you already said past or present. Yes. Past or, um, future, sorry, and also reading the articles in English. It's born in future, like yes. will be. I will give to I you. Will give and, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, thank you for, for raising that. I haven't been precise, and I should be. The natati, if that's one of the one you're looking at, is past turned to future by the verb. The verb are hippo. Like, is it all in future? Yes, it is. It is. When is this clarity? 
Uh, are you asking why it hasn't happened already? Or, or when, is, when, when is history actually established to be? I suppose, okay, that's a very good question. Venatati lechala zarecha acherecha deres kenat mugarecha is not going to happen yet. So I know the answer to that. It's not going to happen until you're sure. Um, but the Pasuk Zion, I will be your God, presumably is going to happen now. And the Brit Milo is about to happen right, on the next page. Um, now, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to say that it's one's conditional on the other. That, that really is the nature of a Brit. Um, or it, a, a Brit is usually bilateral. And clearly, we're about to see actually in the next Pasuk. Um, very next passage. Hashem's now said what he's going to do, and Pasuk introduces what Abraham's going to have to do. So I'm floundering a bit because I'm not sure if they are actually um, one's conditional on the other or they're just both going to have to happen. But okay, I, I presume that Pasuk Zion is going to be fulfilled right now, that Hashem will be there to be a, uh, uh, a God for them. And after all, there's another clue in Pasuk Zion because it says, it's going to be between me and you, and it's also going to be between me and your subsequent descendants. So there's going to be a kiyum, a hakimoti, a fulfillment between me and you. So I presume it's going to be right now. But you're right, the hakimoti is in the future. It's past tense turned into the future by the Vav, and so is Vanatati. What? Um, yes. Yep. Okay, Pasuk Tet. So, as I said earlier, this really contrasts with Pasuk Bet. Pasuk Bet says, I, Hashem, am going to give you my Brit. And then we've talked about what that's going to mean. And now in Pasuk Tet, now comes your bit. And it's not quite clear yet. <coughs> In Pasuk Tet, what Abraham is going to do, have to do, that's explained in Pasuk Yud. So Pasuk Tet says, sorry, just said that. So Rashi says, Va'ata. On the words Va'ata, Vav Zer Mosif Alinyan Rishan. The Vav adds to the previous Inyan, the previous matter. What does that mean? Ani, Hinei, Briti, Itach. As we said in Pasuk Dalad, he's quoting here. Behold, my covenant is with you. And you have to be careful to keep it. What is Rashi explaining? Well, he makes it very clear what he's explaining. He spells it out very explicitly. He's talking about the Vav before the Atta. What does Vav mean? See, Rashi will very, very often, I'm, I'm nervous about saying every time because I haven't checked, but very, very often if there's a loose Vav around, he will explain why it's there. He did on the Hayyei Tamim where we came in this evening. And you, now we all were told you can't start a sentence with and. Sometimes you can, by the way, for stylistic reasons. But if you can, it must be and something linking to what was gone before. Basically, you can't start a speech with va'ata unless it's linked to something earlier. What is it linked to? And that is what Rashi is doing when he says va'ata vav zu mosif al inyon rishan. And he takes us back to Pasuk Dalat. Uh, which is the uh, continuation of Bet and Gimel, where Hashem says, I am doing this, and now you are doing your bit. You have to keep it. Then Rashi says, Uma hi shmiratov. And what is this? What, what is this keeping? And then Rashi quotes the next passage, which we haven't read yet. Zot briti asher tishmeru. This is my Brit, which you will keep. Himol lachem, which we'll come to it very, very soon.
but it's about Mila, about circumcision. So what Rashi has said is, first of all, he's, he's linked actually three things into one sequence. He's linked Pasuk Dalet with Pasuk Tet, introduced with the Vav, Va'ata Ebriti Tishmar, and uh, he's told us that what the Brit is will be explained in Pasuk Yud. And also, I think he's doing what I hope uh, I explained he was doing also in Pasuk Zion, the same sort of thing, telling you that Yud is the fulfillment or the explanation of Tet. It's not a separate thing. You might have read Tet as saying, and in Yud, you have to do something else. Rashi, by saying, what is the keeping of the Brit? Answer, by quoting Pasuk Yud, he shows that Yud is the exemplification of Tet. Now, what does Yud say? Zot Briti Asher Tishmeru. This is my Brit, which you shall Tishmer, you shall keep or you shall guard. Beini uveinechem, between me and between you. Uvein zaracha acharecha, and between your descendants after you. Himol lachem kol zachar. Now, I'll leave him old untranslated because Rashi's going to tell us about the grammar of it. But the first thing Rashi says is, Beini uveinechem, between me and between your children. Sorry, I said it as between you, but that was a mistake. Between me and your children. Otam shal achshav, those of now. Uvein zaracha acharecha, and between your children, your descendants after you. Ha'atidem lehivaled, which will be born in the future. Now, by the way, I must be honest, the reason I was a little bit hesitant before is because I thought I was going to come across that Rashi earlier. Because, for instance, in Pasuk Zion, Russia, uh, Hashem said, Rashi didn't say anything there. Rashi didn't say, between me and your children is like now, is the future. But Rashi does say that here. He does say, uh, that's the children that you have now, and that's the children who are going to be born in the future. Why does Rashi have to spell that out here? Do you want to answer that? Or, okay, do you want to answer that? Because it's Benechem, I think. But is that, maybe I think it here is, but what's your children now? Whereas before you said Benechem, meaning you're, I don't know if that's just one child. Um, it's not what I was thinking of. I'm not sure. Benechem is, that's your children, or Benechem. Is you plural? Yeah, I think, and this is just my idea, it's because you've got to do something, and it's different between the children who've already been born and the children who are going to be born in the future, as we're about to see. What you have to do in terms of Mila to the children who've already been born is different to what's going to happen to those in the future. So there really is two parts to this, as we will see very soon. If we, yeah, we will see. Um, there's what you do to the children what, who are already there, and that's why Rashi spells that out, and what you do to the children in the future. Yes? Why does um, Kimo's point, why does the Quran say five times in that four possible sequence, like, and whatever, and always explain to when Zaracha Surely once we get enough to explain this, this between you and Hashem. Well, okay, you, you stumped me there because. Um, Rashi doesn't say that, so I don't know. But I think I've got an idea. <clears throat> you made it five times. Where were the, can you tell me where the five are? 
Yeah, okay. Zion and Chet are two parts, two different parts of the Brit. Hashem is promising in Zion, I will be your God. And it's going to happen now and in the future. By the way, that's part of the nature of the Brit. It's never going to stop. So he needs to spell out. It's not just a one generation thing between me and you. It's between me and your children. In Pasuk Chet, there's the promise of Eretz Yisrael, which is also going to be not a one generation thing, but an eternal thing throughout all of Dorotam. So that's why it's said twice. Now in Yud, this is my suggestion for what it's worth. It's said twice because the dinim are different, as we will see very soon, between those who are already born and those who are not yet born. Have you got two more occasions? Okay, um, I, I can't be more precise than that, but I will say this, that what is a Brit? So we're hearing a lot about a Brit. Um, there are five Britot in the Torah, each of which is very significant. First is with B'nai Noach. The second one was Brit Matarim. The third one is this one, Brit Mila. The fourth one is the Brit of B'nai Israel in Har Sinai, um, which is concluded in B'chukotai. And the fifth one is the Brit of B'nai Israel in Arvot Moav, which is concluded sort of in Netzavim, uh, just before the entire Israel. And the one thing I want to stress about a Brit is it is everlasting. You can't get out of it. So we call it a covenant. Um, Rav Soloveitchik and Rabbi Sachs in different ways talk a lot about how we have a covenantal relationship with God. That, that's, it's a very, very important, um, it is the defining factor of, our, of what it is to be part of the Jewish people and to have a relationship with God. We are in a covenant. And that means two things. Number one, we have obligations. It's a deal. We have to do things. And number two, it lasts forever. And I'll just add, since I'm sort of on a roll here, the Ramban um, at the Britman Mataram actually talks about how Hashem promised the land to Abraham four different times. And why does he have to promise the land four different times? So, so the Ramban explains why the first two are necessary. And the third one um, at the Britman Mataram was in response to Abraham's concern that maybe my children will deserve to inherit the land, in which case they will, but maybe then they'll cease to deserve to inherit the land and the land will be taken away from them and they'll never get it back. And the Ramban says there that Hashem's response is, I'm going to give you a Brit, and a Brit cannot be cancelled. Now, why do I bring that here? Because I think that's part of the answer to your question. Um, I'm not sure if I've answered it perfectly, but Hashem is stressing, this Brit is for all time. And therefore, every time he talks about the Brit, he says it's for this generation and for future generations. Okay. Now, I, I promised you some grammar on the word himol lachem kol basar. Says Rashi, himol kamo lahimol. What is lahimol? It's an infinitive. So, to be circumcised. That is how himol is to be translated. So, going back to the beginning of Yud. Zog riti asher tishmeru beini ubeinechem ubein zaracha acharecha. Himol lachem kol zachar. All the males to you should be circumcised. It cannot mean, um, no, sorry, uh, that's probably not the right way to say all There will be a state of being of circumcision of all males. That's actually a better translation. Why, why, do I, why did I change that? Because if you said all males should be circumcised, then himol should be in the plural, but it isn't in the plural. So it says Rashi, it's an infinitive. And it means the state of circumcision, singular, 
should be to you to all males. Bit of a clumsy translation, but I think actually that's the most accurate. Now, it doesn't look like a infinitive. What does infinitive have at the beginning of it? A lamet, to this. Lichtov is the infinitive of to write. So Rashi says, himol is kamo lehimol. It doesn't look like it's got a lamet at the front. It hasn't got a lamet at the front, but it's the same grammatical form as if it had a lamet on the front. Kamo sha'ata omer asot kamo la asot. So um, the word asot is found in Micha Perivav Pasachet and probably elsewhere as well. As, elsewhere as well. Um, what does Hashem want of you? Ki im asot mishpat. Only, how do you translate that in English? Ki im asot mishpat. Only to do justice. So the word asot is translated as if it were la asot. And that's why, and that's a clear example, you can't read it any other way. And Rashi says that's a, a precedent or you know, like a proof text that the word himol can actually have the meaning of le himol. It's a, an infinitive. Okay, I think we'll have time for your question. Maybe now one more positive. Um, does Rashi have to explain why it's justice more than it does? No. Um, does, he, does Rashi have to say that? I can definitively say no, he doesn't. How do I know? Because he doesn't. Um, I, I, sometimes I, I'm, I'm forced to say, and I don't know if it's a good answer, you can always ask that question on Rashi. If the Torah says X, and Rashi says, this X is to be read as Y, then you can always ask, well, why didn't the Torah write it as Y in the first place? And I, and I don't know. Um, I, I think this one is actually quite a simple one to say that Rashi is telling you they are equivalent. There's no preference necessarily. One's more common than the other but that doesn't make this one wrong. It's, it deserves to be there. Okay, I think I will stop there because the next one's gonna be a bit more tricky grammar as well. And I don't want to have to rush through it. So we will stop there at the end of Pasuk Yud and in Yitz Hashem, we will meet again, same time, same place, here in our Bet Midrash next week. Any questions or comments? Yes. Which is which is the the other side of the yeah. of the deal. So I'm just wondering if there's a significance to why it's I that's a very good question. I haven't got a clever answer, and I certainly haven't got an instant answer. Um, when Hashem offers the Jewish people a deal, it's two-sided, absolutely. That's what I stressed, and that's what is clear here. But it's a very, very good deal to be part of. So Hashem is giving us something. Even though we have to do our bit, we are much, much better off to be in that bilateral relationship with bilateral obligations than not to be. So Hashem is giving us something of His. That's how I understand it. Okay, thank you. We will stop there. And uh, those who are going to Marif should uh, make their way. And we will see you all next week. Thank you.